Welcome to What's the Difference? Stories about lives changed because you made a difference. Brought to you by The Mount Church. Here's your host, Pastor Andrew Segree. Hey, welcome to the eighth episode of What's the Difference? We created this series because we believe that Jesus is still making a difference in people's lives today. So with every single episode, you're going to hear from everyday people just like you, just like me, where we're going to ask the question, what's the difference? What's the difference that Jesus is making in your life and through your life? So make sure you hit that subscribe button. And we're also on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify Podcasts as well. So you can hit that subscribe button or that like button so you get notifications every time a new episode drops. So for this eighth episode of What's the Difference, we're so glad to have on Pastor John Cook. John, welcome to What's the Difference. Well, thank you, man. It's, I'm glad to be here. Awesome, man. Very good. Well, you know, it's so good to have you on this episode. And right now, you know, you serve as a pastor of care and counseling Mm -hmm. here at the Mount Church in this Northern Virginia um, area. Uh, We both serve here at this church. Um, But often when we start an episode, we just like to simply ask the question, who are you? (laughs) So why don't you just take a moment and share uh, where you're from, Mm -hmm. but also what it was like growing up as John Cook, and maybe even share too, when did you know that Jesus was first after your heart? Oh, wow. Well, I grew up, my dad was a uh, Navy pilot. Mm -hmm. He was a career naval officer, 26 years. Uh, We moved, um, let's see, California. I spent about 10 years in California, different places there. Was actually born in Washington State, Oak Harbor, Washington. Never been back. Lived in Hawaii for a couple years, lived in Texas for a couple years, Newport, Rhode Island for a couple years. And then my dad's last duty station was up in Woodbridge. Mm -hmm. And I actually graduated from Woodbridge High School. And from there, I went down to uh, Old Dominion University. And so my first degree is actually in sports medicine. So if you roll your ankle, I can tape you up. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. So, (laughs) Um, My wife and I, we met, uh, we've been married uh, a little over 31 years. Mm -hmm. That's Uh, awesome, man. 31 years. Are you still happy? Yes. It's bliss. Absolute bliss. That's good to know. Yes. At least that's what my wife keeps telling me. That's good. (laughs) Uh, Been married for 31 years. We have uh, all of our children are grown. Mm-hmm. We have six grandbabies. Yeah. Um, and uh, but we met in Virginia Beach. It was actually a blind date. My sister uh, set it up for us. It was kind of a funny story. We about three or four days before we were actually supposed to go out, um, I went to Deb's office because mm-hmm. my sister and, and Debbie worked together, and I just. I had to get a, p- a peek of her, uh-huh. and it never dawned on me that me walking in there that she could go, "Oh no!" Uh-huh. <laughs> you thought for but sure yeah, she was going to yeah, love she was, all she this. Was no take it all she in. Went. Take it all in. You've uh-huh. got this. Can be yours, okay? Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, she said yes. Out of all the men in the world, she said yes there to you me. Go. Yeah. And um, but fast forward a little bit. The first six years of our marriage was was difficult, yeah. to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I literally moved from a fraternity house to a townhouse, mm-hmm. and where I went from rush chairman to dad. Yeah, and uh, the transition, as I've told people before, was not smooth. Sure, and a lot of it was on my end. And but it was in 1995 mm-hmm. when a number of things kind of lined up that. Uh, Everything in my life had kind of brought me to this point, and I had a dear friend of mine that 
I was working with, and he prayed with me mm-hmm. and started talking to me about Jesus, started taking me to church, uh, and that's when I knew yeah. that Jesus, he, my view of God changed from mm-hmm. the, the eye in the sky that was waiting to smite me mm-hmm. to there's a, there's a God, that there's a Jesus that actually loves me. Yeah. And so 1995 is really my salvation uh, year. And when I went from just believing in Jesus to allowing him to be Lord of my life. That's good. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Yeah. Hey, I was 15 years old, by the way, in 1995. Thanks. But that's uh, yeah. so powerful <laughs> to know that again, even, in our, even in our messes and our brokenness, that Jesus can meet us right there. And oh. something changes, too, when you see that. Okay, he isn't... Because I, I had this kind of the same experience, too, where I kind of always viewed God as that r- rule giver in the sky. Mm-hmm. And he's this, you know, he's this universal killjoy who wants to ruin your life. But when you see that when you let him lead your life, like he actually begins to heal the brokenness. Like There's great power in that. There's real goodness in that. I can't tell you how it, in, in 95, the why in my road was, mm-hmm. was wide. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no kidding. The on Saturday, uh, I think it was February twelfth. I accepted Jesus as Lord, and Sunday morning I am getting dressed to go to church. Yeah, uh, and I get a phone call from my dad that he has lung cancer, mm. and I remember after hanging up with Dad saying, "Okay, yesterday, God, I said that you were Lord, and today this." And I made that conscious decision, um, and it's the greatest decision I've ever made. Mm-hmm. I'm going to trust you in this, God. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, in, in all of that, too, you know, meeting your wife, um, following Christ, having some of this brokenness in your life, I know you also battled an addiction as well. Sure. And I would love it if you shared for a few moments what was that addiction, um, but then how did, how did God lead you to overcome it? Well, uh, as I said, the first six years of Deb and I's marriage, it was rocky, and I said it wasn't an easy transition. It wasn't. Um, I, I'm a recovering alcoholic, mm-hmm. and uh, Lord willing, right now I've been sober for over 28 years. Yeah, praise God. And um, But 95 was actually, I had been sober for three years in 95, and that's when I realized, when I really hit my rock bottom. Because mm-hmm. as I told you, my dad, my dad who was my hero, uh, I still have some of his Navy memorabilia. Actually, in my office, I've got his old flight helmet. Uh, that means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dad was diagnosed in February. He dies July 3rd. Mm-hmm. Debbie and I also had decided that we were going to separate and we were going to get divorced. We mm-hmm. actually had divorce papers signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the night that everything changed, it was about midnight, and I called my wife. And uh, come to find out, we were reading the same passage in Scripture, James chapter 1, and we began to pray. And so that began, the first time we ever prayed together was over the phone, and that brought healing. But, you know, the the question that you asked about my addiction, about alcoholism, I love the thing about Celebrate Recovery is that I am first and foremost, I am a child of God, Mm -hmm. all right? And today, I have victory over alcohol. I refuse to allow alcohol. I, I don't like saying that I'm an alcoholic because that then defines me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not defined by that. I am defined by who God says I am. 
My drinking started when I was about 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it was. The uh, first time I ever had a beer was uh, my sister. She was yeah. taking me to my very first high school dance. And for years and years and years, I was just very insecure, um, became a chameleon, but I always felt like I never measured up. Mm-hmm. Um, I used sports as a way to identify myself, played baseball, played some football, counted ceiling tiles as a wrestler one year in high school. I was terrible, just gotcha. terrible at it. Uh, but all through that, I just never felt like I fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't explain it, but fear and shame ruled me. And I was always trying to meet some benchmark. That first time I had a beer, for the first time in my life, I felt like I was smart enough, I was funny enough, I was attractive enough, I was enough. And for the next 15 years, I chased that feeling. And my drinking, I was never, well, it started off, I was a binge drinker, but towards the end, it was just about every day. Yeah. And it wasn't falling down drunk, but beers for me or alcohol for me was kind of like a potato chip. You can't have just one. I can honestly say I don't think I ever had a drink. Yeah. Um, and uh, But my life was spiraling completely out of control. Step one in any 12-step program says mm. that our lives have become unmanageable. Mm. And that's exactly what it was. My life was unmanageable. Mm-hmm. How, did you, how did you realize that? How did you realize that struggling with alcohol and now my life is unmanageable. Like, was there like a, an epiphany one yes. day that happened? Oh, or did absolutely. you wake up somewhere you weren't? Like, what, what happened to I woke make up, you realize I was that? actually, uh, I'd, uh, about a year before this, um, I was supposed to be at home around 7 o'clock to get my kids. And I ended up at a bar uh, and didn't roll in until about 11, 30, 12 o'clock. Mm. And my kids were with my neighbors. And I was throwing up in the front yard, and my neighbor came over and literally kind of picked me up by the back of my clothes, threw me in the door, and told me I was disgusting. Mm. And so for the next year, I really tried to stop drinking. Fast forward about a year, I went on a business trip with a company I was working for, and and, um, I was really trying to be mindful of my drinking. And... The day before we left, we didn't have any meetings or anything like that. It was just kind of a play day. Well, I started drinking early in the morning. Long story short, I woke up the next morning. I drank so much that I I literally was swollen. Mm. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and realizing, having this moment of clarity, that I am nowhere remotely close to the person, the character, Mm. the integrity of anything that I thought I was. Um... I really, truly had this moment that everything was a fake. Mm-hmm. And I came back, and um, that's when I was like, okay, something has to change. And I got a phone call from my dad who never called me yeah. at work. And my wife had called and spoken to my family and told, me, told them what was going on. And my dad called me, and only the way my dad could, he goes, son, you have a problem. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? And so I said, dad, I don't know, but I'm... I, I realized this. Um, picked up the phone, yeah. called the AA hotline, mm-hmm. and I, I love telling this story. 
I'm talking to the lady and I'm thinking, okay, there's probably one or two meetings in Virginia Beach. I'll go to one of them and mm-hmm. see what's going on. And she goes, well, there's 12 of them tonight in all these different places. And I'm like, 12? Uh-huh. She goes, yeah, there's all these meetings you can go to. I was like, all right, I'll go to one. And then right before I hung up, I said, listen, how does one know if, if alcohol is a problem or if they're an alcoholic? Yeah. And I love this lady online. She goes, well, most people who don't have a problem with alcohol, yeah, they never call this number. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> That's a clarifier, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so what I did is, you know, I went to my first meeting, and I took everybody's inventory, didn't think that I had anything in common with anybody there. And then all of a sudden, the guy that was speaking that night, I think he was about 18 or 19 years old, mm-hmm. and he was talking about drugs and alcohol and the stupid things that he was doing in and out of jail and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, that's not me. That's not me. But then he started talking about anxiety and fear and not measuring up mm-hmm. and shame. And all of a sudden, I was Those like, Those are all oh, the my things gosh. that you've been rolling around in your mind since you picked up your first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, I realized I had everything in common with mm-hmm. these, these people in here. Yeah. And uh, no kidding, it was, it was one of those kind of bittersweet things. Oh, mm-hmm. crud, followed by there's hope. Yeah. Because there were people there that had tremendous sobriety and were living life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, okay, I yeah. can do this. Yeah. 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 That's so good, man. Yeah. That's so good. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that you were, in essence, trying to find your identity oh, in yeah. alcohol. Oh, yeah. So how would you say, like, Jesus has actually helped you even overcome that, you know, moving from this was your identity to now in Christ? What what did that look like? Well, it goes back to those initial lies that I believed, mm-hmm. that I wasn't enough, um, that I had to be. John Cook wasn't enough, whatever the situation was. And so part of my coping mechanism was becoming a chameleon, and I'd, chameleon, and I would be whatever you needed me to be. Mm-hmm. And I eventually got to the point I have no idea who I am. Yeah. Um, but what Jesus did is he told me that I am his child. Yeah. All right? Uh, when Jesus is baptized, this is my son mm-hmm. whom I love and I am well pleased with. I think that's a message that all of us need to hear. Yeah. And the more counseling I do, there's two major things that I see with people. One, we grossly underestimate um, our identity. Mm-hmm. And the only person, the only thing that gets to identify who we are is the one who made us. That's right. And that's God. That's right. Okay? And then the second part of that is we grossly underestimate the effects of sin in our life, mm-hmm. what we do, and the, uh, the effects of sin on our life. Mm-hmm. And we allow those things to define who we are instead of putting them into priority and realizing, hey, this is, this is part of my story. This is not my identity. Jesus is the one that gets to identify me. Now, I will tell you, it took me a long time to get there. I still have those struggles every once in a while. But I have to go back and I have to remember what do I know to be true, mm-hmm. that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, all right, that Jesus calls me his friend, mm-hmm. that Jesus says he loves me, that I am worthy, all right? Yeah. Uh, these are things that I have to dwell on in those moments when fear, anxiety, depression, whatever you know, label you want to put on it, those doubts come creeping in. What do I know to be true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good, man. Yeah. And it's, um, that's a good lead into my next question for you. Um, because, you know, fast forward now, you've been at the mountain now for seven years, mm-hmm. that's right. And so now you are the, um, the reverend 
the the holy, the uh, never make a mistake, Pastor John Cook. Yes. Um, and of course, that's not true. Anybody <laughs> listening out there, you know that um, hey, pastors are sinners in need of grace. In fact, we're still sinners yeah. in need yeah. of grace as well. And you've been in ministry now. It wasn't just the seven years at the Mount, but no. how how long have you been in ministry? Well, I actually started uh, kind of as as a lay uh, youth pastor uh-huh. uh, in about ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, and then I realized I needed more education, and so in two thousand, we. Literally, we sold the house, we packed up the kids, and we uh, moved to Arkansas where I went to seminary and uh, graduated in 2002. And we actually moved here within about uh, a week or two of when Todd moved here. Uh And uh, I was a senior pastor at a smaller congregation, and I did that for 10 years. And then I worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for a little while, and then uh, this position... or an A position opened yeah. up here at the Mount where they brought me in as the connections director uh-huh. and then eventually morphed into being the pastor of care and counseling, which yeah. you had a tremendous hand in. And and as I've told people before, I know since I went in ministry that this has truly been my calling. Yeah. All right. And I knew from the moment that I left for school, I was on the right bus. Mm-hmm. But it was about three years ago, four years ago, when you and Todd said, listen, we want you to do this. Yeah. I am on the right seat, on the right bus. Yeah. And I I think I have the best job at yeah. this church. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, um, you know, you're, you're in essence on the front lines as oh, a yeah. passive care and counseling. And so you get to be, you get to be with people uh, a lot of times at their moments of their greatest need. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, you know, after a year like 2020, uh, we're, you know, still mo- moving into 2021, we're, we've been in this global pandemic. Um, we've been in the season where tensions um, across the board, across the country are at, a, are at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been isolated mm-hmm. from their activities and even from each other. How, how have you seen or what are maybe some of the issues you've seen that have been rising up in people um, or even families or even marriages after coming out of a year like last year? Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed right off the bat within probably a, a month of, to two months after everything kind of shut down last year, mm-hmm. everything has gotten heavier. Yeah. Uh, issues that were there ahead of time before that they weren't really dealing with, they became very, very heavy. And over the course of this last year, um, there's been so much um, upheaval, mm-hmm. uh, and it seems like every day the world just kind of takes us and shakes us, and it makes us all on edge. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've really been trying to talk to people about is what do you know to be true today? Uh, if there was one thing I wish we, we could do for everybody and say, you know, take a media fast for a month. Yeah. Man, get off social media. Stop watching the sensationalistic news and understand that they are trying to sell advertising, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Don't allow the world to shake you up and get you all fired up, all right? Um, People are fearful, and it doesn't matter if it's political. It doesn't matter if it's the racial tensions. It doesn't matter... uh, 
if you know the the COVID, the mask, the no mask, the shots, the no shots, mm -hmm. they're just fearful. Yeah. Um, one of the things for myself that I had to process through, and I think a number of people are experiencing this also, is they have put their faith and their trust and their hope in a number of different things sure. that doesn't have the name of Jesus on right. it. And all of a sudden, these things start getting taken from you. And now what do I do? What yeah. do I put my hope in? What do I put my trust in? Where is where is my hope? Where is my faith? Mm -hmm. And so trying to get people back to that. Um, another thing is anxiety is, on a, is, is creeping up. And so the idea of, uh, and this is, this is an AA, this is a celebrate recovery principle, uh, but it's a biblical principle of living in today. Yeah. What does it look like to live in today? What are the things that I can affect today? What are the things that I have control over? What I think and what I do. Those are the two things that we have control over. I can't control other people. Mm -hmm. I can't control the government. I can't control anything else. But I can control what I think, and I can control my actions. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so if, if people can start doing that and start addressing, okay, what do I know to be true today? What is mine to own here? Um, that goes a long way. And also just some very, very basic things. Be kind. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a, a working definition of love that I use with couples. Mm -hmm. And it's from a guy by the name of Everett Worthington. Uh, and I love this, that love is a willingness to value and to avoid devaluing others mm -hmm. that comes from a caring, other-focused heart. And so kind of the key words there is, am I bringing value to somebody or am I devaluing them? Mm -hmm. All right. And if I even had to wrap this up with one word, it's all about being intentional. Yeah. Intentionality. Mm -hmm. And I think if we as people become intentional with others around us, stay within the moment as much we can, as much as we can, all right? Stop worrying about what's gonna happen down the road because we get those mental projectors going and it never turns into a love story. It's always a horror film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, stay in the moment. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And um, this question wasn't in my notes, but I wanted to throw it at okay. you as, as we've been talking because I, I think sometimes, um, Especially there's a, like people may feel, okay, fear's rising up in me. They may feel that anxiety is rising up in me. They may feel like something is wrong and they don't even know how to deal with it. But I think there's oftentimes this stigma that comes with going to counseling mm -hmm. um, to get to get the help that somebody might need, mm -hmm. uh, which is crazy to think because, you know, if you chop off an arm, you're not going to be like, oh, well, I'll, it'll just fix itself, right? You're going to go to a doctor. Duct tape. You're going to get <laughs> – you're not going to do that. <laughs> you're going to go get, like, the help you need, medication you need, the bandages you need, surgery that you need. You're going to get everything that you need. Like, what would you say to somebody who might be listening who's maybe hearing this, like coming out of something like that last year and they're feeling it? either as a, as a single person, um, in their marriage, in their family, they're feeling this fear, this anxiety, um, but, and maybe they don't know what to do. Maybe they thought, oh, well, I don't need counseling. What would you say to somebody who says, you know what, it is okay to step in to see somebody like you, mm -hmm. to step in to see a counselor? Um, what would you say to that person maybe even fearful of taking that step? Um, I would say if what you're currently doing isn't working, mm -hmm. 
then try something different. Yeah. And also, please understand that, that counseling, a lot of what I do is help people to reframe things. Mm-hmm. All right. I have couples that come to me and they think their marriages are, you know, on the verge of divorce. And a lot of times what it is, there's one or two issues that they just need some refocusing on and prioritizing. And that's the idea of what counseling is. Yeah. All right. Now there are, yes, there are extenuating circumstances where there is very real mental health things. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole that's a totally different side. But most of counseling is a matter of being in a very safe environment that you can trust who you're speaking with, all right? Being open and honest. And one, a lot of times what people need is they just need to be heard. Yeah. And that's where a counselor is going to hear you. They aren't going to judge you. It's not my job to judge you. My job is to listen to you and then to help refocus things for you underneath the umbrella of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Well, John, man, thank you so much like for joining us on this episode of What's the Difference? Man, I think you are a picture um, of what it means in Romans 12 to help people renew their mind like mm-hmm. God calls us to, uh, to help us to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, you're a picture of, of, of that, but also helping people live that out, man. So thank you for how you serve people and how you serve the kingdom as well. And then thank you guys for joining us for this eighth episode of What's the Difference? Uh, We're so glad that you came, but don't miss the next episode. We're going to have Sergeant Larry DeBella of the Spotsylvania County Sheriff's Office on. If you think you know what police officers are all about, Sergeant DeBella is going to blow your mind on what a real police force does, a real sheriff's department does really to love the community that they serve. So make sure, again, to hit that like or subscribe button and join us for the next episode of What's the Difference. Thank you for tuning in to What's the Difference. Click on subscribe to make sure you get the next episode with Pastor Andrew. Connect with us for more resources and information on how you can make a difference at mtarrat.org. See you at the mound.